0: from the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. I'm Josh Young and this is as seen from here. On today's podcast, Ed Holland on the ocular surface before cataract surgery and Catherine Hatch On post operative refractive errors.
1: We know biometry is the number one reason for refractive surprises, so errors in axial length and keratometry readings are by far the number one cause for uh, refractive surprises.
0: First, this. Want to learn about macra, MIPS, and running an excellent and efficient ophthalmology practice? You'll love iTalks Radio. The official podcast of the American Society of Ophthalmic Administrators.
2: Let's get right down to the basics of MACRA. For those of you who are not familiar with this law, what is MACRA?
1: MACRA does stand for the Medicare Access and CHIP Reauthorization Act.
0: iTalks Radio brings to ASCRS members, ASOA members, and even non members practical information on human resources, government regulatory compliance, middle management, and productivity. Indulge at italksradio.org. That's E-Y-E-T-A-L-K-S radio.org. Italks Radio, the yang to my yin. I had the opportunity to interview a number of people advancing the forefront of ophthalmology during the annual meeting of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery in Washington, D.C., Edited versions of these interviews are presented on the iWorld Replay website as brief videos. I'm going to present these interviews in their entirety over a number of podcasts. Today, we hear from Ed Holland on managing the ocular surface before cataract surgery, and from Katherine Hatch on managing post cataract refractive errors. All of the interviews were fantastically interesting to me, and I learned a lot in these conversations. I hope that you enjoy them as much as I did. I'm here with Ed Holland. Ed, there, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of talk here, there's been a lot of talk recently on the importance of managing the ocular surface perioperatively, really starting preoperatively, uh, for, um, in, in the context of, of cataract surgery. You gave a wonderful talk on managing the ocular surface for refractive surgery patients. Why don't you give me the lay of the land here, and then I'll have some specific questions.
2: Sure, it's a, a great topic. It's a topic that I think all of us should be concerned about. First of all, dry eye is extremely important, and uh, whether you consider yourself a dry expert or a cornea expert, your patients have dry eye, and we can talk about the refractive patient, but we also want to think about the refractive cornea patient, refractive cataract patient. Excuse me, and you know cataract patients are expecting good vision and, and a lot of them want good vision without without glasses. And the most important focusing structure of the eye is the interface between the tear film and the, and the cornea. And so just a mild disruption of the ocular surface has tremendous effects on both our preoperative measurements to get good refractive outcomes as well as our postoperative outcomes. And so I think it's very, very important to identify those patients with ocular surface disease preoperatively. Potentially treat those patients, maybe even delay the surgery, uh, and, and certainly then we want to manage them postoperatively. And you want to educate the patient on the potential effects of dry eye or ocular surface disease on their post-op outcomes.
0: Yeah, so uh, let, let me a- a- ask you. I'm going to ask you sort of my my last question first, which is, wh- what do you tell patients? preoperatively operatively about I mean, the, so these are patients who you've identified with an ocular surface problem that you've managed to the extent that you can before surgery. You've delayed surgery, you've done all of that stuff. What do you tell patients before surgery about the what their experience is, is going to be after surgery? Because you can't obviously you can't cure them.
2: Yes, and let me let me take a, a little scenario why I think it's important. Let's say you have a patient that you either didn't diagnose ocular surface disease or you, you saw it but just neglected to tell the patient. Patient is say a toric patient or a multifocal Iowa patient has surgery, you hit your refractive outcome perfectly but they don't like their vision. And they don't like the vision because they have myboming gland disease and a very rapid tear breakup time and evaporative dry eye or they have aqueous tear deficiency and they have punctate staining of the cornea or a combination of the two. And so you tell them post-op, oh, I did a good job as a surgeon. You don't like your vision because you have dry eye. They never buy that story. They somehow think that surgically you did something wrong, even though you're trying to educate them. So it's way better to manage your expectations by diagnosing the patient, talking about the effects, deciding if you should delay the surgery, or maybe talk the patient out of certain technology. For instance, if I have Moderate to severe dry eye, and I worry about the ocular surface. I do not put a multifocal lens in. I don't think you're ever going to get that patient happy with their quality of vision, and that's something that you you need to have a discussion with that patient because it's so hard to get them on board post op.
0: So that that's a great, great, great point. Also, with, with, with regard to delaying surgery i you you make the point and i just want to emphasize it here that it's not just that you're delaying surgery you're delaying the biometry for the patient because the ocular surface is it, it has to be optimized or you're you're going to wind up with the wrong lens or the potentially wind up with the wrong lens power or the wrong torque axis or something that's really problematic
2: there's been several studies uh, more recently that has showed that you're you're, you're effect, the effect of dry can tremendously affect your ability to hit the right spherical and, and uh, cylindrical power. So you're absolutely right. Um, you're, a, you're a more accurate surgeon the more the ocular surface is healthy.
0: Now, let me ask you this. Let's say that we've identified someone who we're sufficiently concerned with that we decide to delay. Those patients, I am—I'm sure you are too—going to a treat or uh, going to treat more aggressively initially than we would someone coming in literally for for just dry dry management. What do you do? And when we say delay, what does delay usually mean?
2: So that's, that's that's a great question. So you know when you delay them, they're upset, and they're upset that you know when they they've made this decision to come in to get a cataract consult. So you know once they make that decision, they're ready to get on your schedule. And, and they want to have it done as soon as possible um, so when you delay them they're upset but they're upset with the disease dry eye, they're not upset with you the surgeon and rather have them angry at dry eye and we'll both kind of deal with dry eye than, you know and I think they do gain some confidence in you that you did the right thing so there are some things that we can do to quickly get us uh, you know, to the surface better you know I, I think you you really should think about whether it's Aqueous tear deficiency, whether it's MGD or a combination of the two, and then and then you know you want to you want to point your therapy in that direction. I do think you you should really try to figure that out. So, what things can we get the surface healthy with fast? One is to think about uh, topical corticosteroids. You know, they they reverse inflammation faster than some of the other medications we have, such as lifitegrast or cyclosporin. Those are more maintenance type medications and. Steroids are great for acute uh, inflammation of the ocular surface and restoring the health of the surface. We usually don't use those chronically, but we use them in in bursts. If the patient has significant MGD, I actually have moved thermal pulsation way up in my treatment paradigm. For a surgical patient, it's the first thing I I do. And then I think about maintenance, um, doxycycline, low-dose doxycycline, 50 milligrams once a day. Uh, or uh, omega 3s, although we heard a, a, a paper on Friday and Cornea Day that uh, in a prospective trial, omega 3s didn't have any value in MGD, at least in that trial, but I think a lot of us think they do. Certainly they're not going to be, be a, a negative for the patient in any other way. And then uh, topical azithromycin is, is another way. So, acute things, corticosteroids, uh, thermal pulsation. Uh, and then potentially topical azithromycin, and um, uh, and then the low dose doxycycline. I don't immediately go to punctual occlusion with a plug, or, or you know, or, or aggressive punctal occlusion with cautery, especially if there's a lot of inflammation. I think you can make that patient more symptomatic and make the surface a little bit worse. So I like to get the surface healthy and then if I think there's still some significant aqueous tear deficiency may add a plug down the line
0: so let me ask you something practical maybe even cynical a patient comes to you doctor Holland. I understand that I'm going to be paying a a premium for this torque lens it's worth it I'm 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 on board but you know don't you think it's a bit much that you're asking me to also pay for now thermal pulsation uh, treatment
2: for uh, a condition that I, I didn't come to to you and, for. Yeah. well, you're you're absolutely right. And a lot of patients that have chronic dry eye don't realize they have it. So young patients with acute dry eye or short-term dry eye, such as the classic young woman with you know uh, progressive aqueous tear deficiency, they're very very symptomatic and have often minimal signs. But the chronic dry eye patient, that patient who's had gradually progressive MGD over years doesn't really have a lot of pain as we define dry eye they just have a terrible ocular surface and fluctuate in vision so you have to then have this discussion about what type of dry eye they have and the whole concept of MGD is a little bit uh, you know foreign to them so biography has changed that uh, that ability to educate patients to show patients an image of their own meibomian glands is, has reduced my chair time in talking about what this disease is because Patients think when you say the word dry eye, they think they don't make watery tears. They have no idea there's a lipid layer. They don't, and when you tell them there's a lipid layer, they can't figure out what it would do and where it comes from. But you show them their glands, and if they have atrophy of glands or, or sludging of glands, you talk about the poor quality of mibum, and then you tell them, you know, based on your your different preoperative testing, I'm, you know, I don't, I have discrepancies between my manual case and my my uh, uh, topography and your old refraction and I don't feel comfortable putting a torque lens in so sometimes I'll tell them if we can't treat you but you really really want your cataract out we may not recommend a premium IOL that's a great um, that's a great way to deal with this It's really really super
0: I want to thank you personally for uh, uh, talking to me about my practice and I know other people were listening in uh, uh... No, but seriously, for making this very, very complicated topic so very clear, and as always, for being so very generous with your time with us today.
2: Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's great to see you. I'm here with my buddy Katie Hatch.
0: Hi, Katie, hi. You gave, you know, this wonderful talk, a very, very complex topic. We're not going to be able to cover it all, but we can cover some of it, which is the patient who has a refractive error after cataract surgery that we want to address. I want to specify that because there are. The errors that can occur that we decide to just leave. There are multitudinous ways to address refractive errors, um, and the different ones are, are better in different contexts, and frankly, that's a conversation that's also too long for us to have. So let's narrow things down. What is your approach to a patient who has a refractive error that's just a little bit too much to sort of leave or, or counsel and doesn't want to wear glasses and what what approach do you take to these patients
1: thanks josh so i think it's really crucial uh, to get to know the patient we really have to understand what their their problem is and we have to get to know them as a person so we need, these patients where we're trying to do refractive cataract surgery even just Uh, standard cataract surgery, we still need to understand what their goals are. Are their goals to see the computer well? Are their goals to see distance? And and this is obviously customizable. So uh, we have to understand the patient. That's number one. We have to give them extra chair time because we need to understand what their needs are not all not all patients need to be 2020 to be happy we all know that and so we need to really nail down what is the problem that we're trying to treat that's the first issue and so i think um doing that prior to surgery is ideal i think we need to try to manage patient expectations from from the initial consultation uh, and so patients know and expect what their results will be and that can help minimize uh, p- patient surprises and and unhappiness after surgery.
0: Sure, and and, and in fact, when I, I'm sure your language is probably better than mine. But when uh, when I when I talk about things with 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 patients, I say, look, you know, it, it we it's imperative that you and I have the same target. But we don't always hit our 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 targets, and you know, there's a chance that we're going to have to do more. Fine, we understand our 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 patient. The patient is. Uh, unhappy, not miserable, but you know, wound up being, let's say, plus 0.75, and uh, which we're not happy, you know, minus 0.75, maybe we could let it ride. We, we're going to do something. What are we going to do?
1: So, the first thing we need to do is make sure that there's no ocular pathology that potentially could be contributing to refractive error. So, we need to get a very good look at the cornea, that we need to look for dry eye. We also need to make sure the patient does have any anterior basement membrane dystrophy, we need to look for posterior capsular opacification and any macular pathology that could be affecting visual acuity. Once we've ruled out those causes and treated them uh, and the patient really has a pure refractive error that they're unhappy with, we have to decide what the best course is for that patient. So um, the real options that we have are uh, laser vision correction including traditionally LASIK or PRK, Uh, The other options might be if it's an astigmatic uh, problem, we potentially consider a limbal relaxing incision or an arcuate incision. And then we could also consider a a piggyback IOL or an ocular lens exchange.
0: How do you know a priori what's going to work? So uh, Specifically, you and I discussed off-camera something that you do uh, to give a a patient a sort of a non-invasive trial.
1: Sure, yeah. So, I believe that doing a soft contact lens trial, uh, even for a week or so, um, it, you could have, your, have, your have an optometrist or, or you fit the patient with a contact lens and have the patient wear the plus 75 or the minus 75 around. And if they are, if it's life changing and they're static with that, then I think moving forward with the refractive correction is, is, is reasonable because they, they really understand what they're, what they're getting.
0: No, they're, they're, that's, a, that's a great, great point. Um, do you, do you have, now, uh, this is a different, uh, really, it's a different topic, but v- uh, how do you decide it, whether you're going to do LASIK versus, versus PRK uh, on on these patients? I'm always concerned because, you know, I've I've recently done a penetrating wound.
1: Sure. I, I think that, well, we clearly know that there are differences between the healing processes of, of LASIK and PRK. I, I think that, um, one, the procedures have their pluses and minuses. We know LASIKs faster recovery. Um, we think it may be potentially more transiently dr- causing dryness and, and other uh, maybe you know flap issues. Which, if you had potentially a, a multifocal lens, you may not want to create a, an additional interface. So that may be a negative to LASIK. Um, but I think that those are both
0: you know, viable very, options. Very yeah. good options. So the, the 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 best way to uh, treat this this problem obviously is not to have it in the first place. What can I do preoperatively to minimize? I know this is a big topic, but you you can manage this. Uh, uh, what can I do preoperatively, not to put myself in the situation?
1: Sure, and I mean I, that 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 would be the ideal situation, of course. So I think from a from a systematic perspective, obviously the managing expectations is number one. But then, from a structural and, and actual anatomic, what we, what can we do? We know biometry is the number one reason for refractive surprises. So mer- errors in axial length and keratometry readings are de- by far the number one cause for uh, refractive surprises. And so we need to make sure our measurements are are good and 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 also we can consider using technology like aberometry, uh aberrometry which would also potentially reduce our refractive refractive error.
0: Yeah, no, true. Katie, this is this wonderful stuff. You and I can talk about this for hours and hours and hours, and we will, but off camera. Okay. Uh, I want to thank you for for, for breaking this uh, very complex topic down for us uh, and as always for being so very generous with your time with
1: Thank us. you so much, Josh.
0: Ed Holland is the Director of Cornea Services at the Cincinnati Eye Institute and Professor of Ophthalmology at the University of Cincinnati in Cincinnati, Ohio. Catherine Hatch is Director of the Refractive Surgery Service at the Massachusetts Eye and Ear Infirmary in Boston, Massachusetts. Ask questions of Dr. Holland, Dr. Hatch, or any of our previous guests or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iWorld.org. As seen from here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.